Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne podcast. And I am so excited about today's podcast because we have the Invest Diva herself with us today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, AJ? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much. I got to tell you, uh, my staff was very excited to have you come on. They were like, no way, we love her. We can't believe it. So um, we really do appreciate you coming on here and talking with us. Uh, before we jump into it, why don't you give kind of a background of you, um, how you got into the investment world? Uh, and yeah, just give us a little background to set the stage here for the conversation. Absolutely. So my name is Kiana Danielle. I am the founder of Investiva. I'm an author of six books. How I got here is thanks to getting fired from my job on Wall Street. So forever grateful for that boss who fired me because otherwise I would have still been in the rat race. And um, so my background is actually engineering, had nothing to do with finance or entrepreneurship. Got very interested in uh, investing back in 2008 market crash when everybody was just talking about recession. I had no idea what that means. And I got lucky. I placed a very, very lucky uninformed trade and I made $10,000 and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I want to get into this. I want to understand how this world works. And that is how I became fascinated by it. I came to New York, I got a job on Wall Street, learned a bunch, got fired and then decided to go and start take, take control of my own destiny. So that's how it got started. I love that. Um, it's funny, that's uh, very similar to my story. The main reason I got started with a lot of stuff we're doing is because I too was let go. So uh, it's, you know, <laughs> that seems how it works. And sometimes it's hard to get rid of those golden handcuffs, right? Um, it, it's, it's hard to lose that. So it's actually nice sometimes when it, it, it's pulled away from us. So what, what is your focus on when you, you know, invest? We say invest, and I know that that is a wide ranging topic and of philosophy, of strategy, of techniques, of focus area. Uh, walk me through, what is your, your focus area? What is your philosophy around investments that you hold? Absolutely. And as I said, there are like literally hundreds of paths towards wealth, hundreds of methods of investing. Each works for a unique person. And I've been going like through different kinds of strategies. And then I found myself in a place that works the best for me. I'm a mom. I am a mom of a toddler. I'm also an entrepreneur. So for me, what works is actually, I found out was long-term value investing. I actually started out with trading. I actually was doing really, really high risk trading. I used to do Forex trading, which is one of the highest risk trades you can do. My first book is about that. And I no longer do that. And people are like, why, why did you do that? You were first because that, that then. I was like, well, back then I was like single. I had higher tolerance, but now it just doesn't fit my lifestyle. And to be honest with you, I don't think the ROI on trading is as high as, let's say, having your own business and then investing and in making that money, the income that you're making from your business work for you on the background so that you don't have to be stuck to your screen all day. So my strategy is very, very simple. 
Um, I call it the Investiva Diamond Analysis. It has five points. And if you want me to walk through it, walk through it, I can just walk you through yeah, it. Yeah, I would actually. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, it has five points. Investiva Diamond Analysis because a diamond has a five points. And the first point is something that majority of people don't even think about when they got get into like the hear about cryptocurrency or they hear about Bitcoin or I don't know, a meme stock or any stock. And like, I want to get in and they go and just buy it without doing these steps. The most important step of them all is step number one, which is capital analysis. You have to understand your own financial situation. You have to understand your cash flow, your net worth, how much money you're bringing in, how, how much money you're going to bring in in the future. What is your age? What is your lifestyle? What is your willingness, your ability to take a risk? What is your confidence in the assets you're going to invest in? So that so is financial all analysis, not of the investment of yourself. Self. Got and it. you do not have to be a millionaire to do that. Yes. Like most people are like, oh my God, oh, like what financial analysis? I don't have any money. I'm like, well, that's how you make money. You that's have to understand exactly. where you are at. And so you have to do it yourself. So I most people are like, oh, that. I got to go like find a money manager. No, 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 no. Nobody cares about your money as much as you do. This is something that is even more important than learning how to drive a car when you're 18. Way more important. So you have to understand that. So that's capital analysis. And then step number two is intentional. We call it intentional, which means, okay, what are your goals? Why are you investing? Are you investing to generate cash flow? Are you investing for the long term for retirement? Yes. Are you investing for your kids? Are you investing for your parents? Right? And, and what is the goal? Do you want to take it out? Do you want to spend it? Do you want to let it let it for generational wealth? So you figure that out, and that is going to dictate the strategy that you're going to create based on the next steps, which now it gets to investing. So first it was capital, second step was intentional, third step is fundamental. So this is fundamental analysis of the asset that you're investing in. And this can be applied to any market, really, cryptocurrency, stocks, real estate. I personally have just fallen into crypto and stocks. And by fundamental, I don't mean like go and read their like earnings report and like listen to the uh, quarterly announcements and things like that. If you're a value investor, actually none of that matters. All that matters is your understanding of what, what value this asset, this company brings to what kind of people and are they going to be around? Are they going to matter in five years, in 10 years, in 25 years, depending on your financial goal? So that's why you have to do the intentional analysis first. Yes. And then see, okay, is let's say you're interested in Tesla. Is Tesla going to be relevant in five years? Maybe you're interested in Netflix. Is Netflix going to be relevant in five years? So you're going to go and go down that rabbit hole. What is this company doing differently that is going to keep it relevant? What is this category? Is this category going to, going to be relevant in the next five, 10, 20 years? So I can, again, do that also for cryptocurrencies as well. And then once you have certainty about the asset and nobody can do that better than you. Like you have to, one of the first things that I tell my students is like, hey, the best place to start is your own credit card because you're already a consumer. Like, go see where you're spending your money at. Do you like that company? Do you like the culture? Are you gonna like, are you looking to switch for a competitor or you're like, nope, I'm a lifetime fan and I'm gonna be with them. So that's where you can get started. And once you have certainty about the assets, you can have like a list of five to 10 assets you wanna invest in. Then you do a little bit more, you can optimize this. Now, for, at here, once you have these three levels done, 
you're somewhat good to go. Mm-hmm. We can dollar cost average, but I take it a little bit further just to optimize it to manage my risk, to manage my emotions, because investing is very, very emotional. The best thing you can do for yourself is to manage your emotions. And all these steps is to manage your emotions. So you have certainty going in. So the next step I typically do is something called technical analysis. Now, technical analysis is just basically looking at the price action of the markets, the past, the history, to kind of understand where the market could go in the future, because history kind of rhymes. And you're understanding what has done before. And right now we're recording this, we're in the midst of moving towards a recession. Now, recessions have happened over and over again in the past. And what is amazing about that is that now you can learn lessons from the past and see how you can kind of adjust your strategy based on, I mean, obviously we cannot predict it, but you can have an idea. And then based on your risk tolerance, based on your time horizon, based on your financial goals, you can say, you know what? This is where I feel comfortable. Like, I don't want to go in now. I want to wait for it to like go even lower. Or you're like, I don't know how low it's going to go. I don't want to miss out. Maybe I want to buy now. So what, as you do technical analysis, you can then, this is my favorite part. You can set something called a buy limit order instead of buying at market at market price, basically telling your broker, whoever they're investing with that, hey, I think Tesla is going to drop to a hundred bucks. And that's the price that I want to buy. I don't want to buy it at any higher price. Or maybe you can have like multiple buy on orders and then go about your day. Go do your job, be with your family, do your business, go for a run and let it be. So sometimes my buy on orders take months or even years to go through and I don't care. And that's how I do my investments, even though I'm absolutely busy. And then the third, the fifth thing that I do, so we talked about uh, point number one was capital, intentional, we got fundamental, technical. The last point, before I go and set that biomet order, I also look at what other people are doing. Now, most people do it reverse. They look at the news, they're like, oh my gosh, everybody's buying, uh, what was it last year that was a GameStop? GM, GameStop, yeah. I'm gonna go buy it. People do it reverse. This is the last point. I do not listen to the news. Yes. I do it backwards, do the research, and then go and say, okay, what are people talking about it? And more often than not, you typically want to go against what everybody else is doing. (laughs) Because if everybody is scared and panicking, oh, maybe this is time to get in. If everybody is super hyped up, then this might be the time to get out. So that is where- Emotions ruin investing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Now I, I have some questions. So first of all, this uh, practice and advice is just so sound. It fits in exactly with how I invest our investing strategy. Um, you know, we everything from real estate to stocks. I always tell people I don't let brokers tell me what something's worth, and I don't let banks tell me how much I can afford. We do our own analysis. We move our own things based upon what we're trying to achieve, right? And I've always done that, even with stocks. I was much more of a a follower of Warren Buffett's philosophy, where I had companies that I loved. I thought they had large moats. Um, the fundamentals of the company and financials were sound. And I thought, hey, hey listen, in five, six years, they're going to be around. What today's price is at when the world is burning, right, is fairly irrelevant to me. Um, so I would set by and then literally not look at it for years. 
Like I would literally not touch the account. I would buy my stocks that I like. And then when all of a sudden everybody's freaking out the markets, you know, records after records after records, I'm like, maybe I should look at my account. And then I go in, right. And then I'll do the same when everybody else are freaking out the other way. Stock markets are crashing and everything. I'm like, oh, maybe I should look at my account. Not to, not to like sell, not to be retroactive, but to say, hey, now some of those stocks that I like, some of those companies that I like, they may be getting towards prices that I want to buy at. Now, that is one of the big questions I have. How do you determine that strike price? So when you're looking at a stock and stocks go up, they go down, those prices fluctuate, and it's super intimidating for people because they go, I don't understand how this is being valued. I don't understand how it's being priced because how can a stock be worth $100 one day and three weeks later be worth $50? What changed so fundamentally that it lost half its value? And I think that price fluctuations, first of all, scares people. It makes them doubt themselves. Um, but two, it also makes it that say, is 50 the right? Or will it be 25? Will it be 10, right? And the fluctuations of stocks make people very nervous. And not from a nervous standpoint, I think lots of times of buying it, but more nervous of what is the strike price? What? How should I be valuing it? What do you say to that? Absolutely. I love this question. So the funny thing is typically the stock price has nothing to do with the value of the company, but everything to do with the market sentiment and what other people think it should be priced. That's why we do the final kind of analysis, market sentiment analysis. And like, as you said, sometimes a price, like that's what they call it, like overvalued. The price is overvalued. What does that mean? It's that everybody think is going to go up and then everybody wants to do what everybody else is doing. So everybody's buying everybody else wants to buy as well. And that is how the market prices go up, right? And then similarly, when the first like giant, big whale, whatever you want to call them, starts selling, everybody, human nature, everyone wants to do what everybody else is doing and nobody wants to do what nobody else is doing. So people start selling, sell, 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 the price goes down. The supply and demand is that simple. Now, how I, the reason why I do technical analysis is because this is all, all psychology. And the psychology of the price action is also kind of rhythmically written on the charts. And like the big players, the hedge funds, the Wall Streeters, they do use some sort of indicator, some sort of chart pattern analysis. And because everybody else is looking at it, it actually works. Yes. So one of the places, one of the indicators that I love using, it is not an ind indicator, is uh, it's called a Fibonacci, Fibonacci. Yes. So Fibonacci was this guy who created the sequences of, of numbers. And um, there is a Fibonacci retracement that I don't know how it works. I have no idea about the math behind it, but it's freaking magic because everybody else on Wall Street is also using it. So you draw it on your chart using a trend and it gives you different levels, key psychological levels, we call them, that everybody else on Wall Street is also looking at them. And then because everybody's looking at them, once everybody's selling and it hits that key psychological price, let's say 50, then people are like, oh, okay, it hit this, this it's called support, right? So again, it's all about like everybody is in it together and everybody's looking at the same thing. So you wanna be looking at the same thing, but the difference is the hedge fund was potentially shorting, was putting a like sell uh, option, whatever they do, I don't do options trading, but that as a value investor, you want to get in when they are exiting, when the hedge funds with the big Wall Street boys are exiting, 
then I, with my small, tiny account, can come in and like just pick up, <laughs> right? Yes. And I see psychological exactly. level. So that's how we do it. I so that it. I mean, I you, you don't, you're not competing with Wall Street, and like people are, like, oh my gosh, like somebody has to lose in the in the stock market. No, no. there is always money for everybody. Some people are shorting, some people are going long, and I'm totally different, like, different strategies. Oh, different they strategies. They don't align. And everybody can win because like some people are shorting, they're making money on the way down. I'm value investor. I'm going to make money on my way up. So that's how it works. Yeah, hundred percent. A lot of people don't realize that so much of the stock prices are driven by capital flows and capital flows may have nothing to do with the stock at all. Okay. I need to move a hundred million from here to there. So I have to liquidate positions that have nothing to do with the reason I'm selling them. I'm moving it to another market. I'm moving it to another safety. And then all of a sudden, stock prices are getting hammered because interest rates are rising and people are moving into the bond market, right? And you're going, well, this, this company is actually doing better than it was a year ago, yet its price is just going down. But that's just simply because capital's moving. It, there's nothing to do with the company. And, uh, you know, I it's so hard to, I, I think, to get in a position where, the noise, like you said, news, don't listen to the news, don't turn on CNBC, don't listen to the talking heads. Um, you don't know why they're giving that opinion, first of all. You don't know what their intentions are. If they're looking at a month, if they may be thinking, oh yeah, the next month this is gonna go down, but the next month after that it'll go up. Don't play those games, don't listen to it, right? There's so many strategies in the stock market that affect stock prices that have nothing to do with you, have nothing to do with your strategy. So this idea that it's based upon me, I'm finding companies that I like, I'm setting the prices that I wanna purchase it at, and I'm gonna ignore the noise, that to me for individual investors is the only winning strategy. I, I don't know how people try to beat Wall Street, and I don't know why they think that it's, that if Wall Street's winning, they're not, that's not how it works. They're doing their own thing and let them, right? Let them do their own thing and you do yours. I think that's an amazing, amazing philosophy. Um, now tell me when you are investing uh, capital, how do you view risk? So like a lot of people, like you want diversified, you want this, you want that. How do you deal with risk? How do you manage it? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. So my first and foremost go-to strategy is invest in what you know. I worry less about diversification as I do about the relevance of my assets in the future because I'm a long-term value investor. So I have an electrical engineering background. My husband is also an engineer. So we understand tech. Mm -hmm. And yes, our portfolio is very tech heavy because I get it. Like I, yeah. I get it. I don't, I, and then, so for example, I then when you invest also as an individual, uh, I want to put this here as well because uh, I also, it depends on my morals as well. So for example, I don't invest in gold, in oil, not because oil is a bad investment, but because I'm originally from Iran, oil literally ruined the Middle East. And yeah. I just don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. I don't want to profit from something that I'm like, it's like literally ruining people, people's lives. So I don't invest in oil. It could be making me tons of money. I don't care about it. So I just wanted to put that out there. You shouldn't, yeah. you don't have to be invested in everything. Yes. You can actually be selective and invest in, really the things that matter to you that you understand. And then when it comes to mitigating risk, um, again, understanding um, the um, your certainty about the company is number one. Number two, understanding your ability to take a risk, ability to take a risk, meaning how much, so understanding, okay, I have my emergency fund. 
I have covered my expenses, right? My monthly expenses, like my, if, if I lose this money, my family's not going to suffer. And this is just the money that I have set aside for generational growth. So that is a step number one in mitigating risk, understanding what you're what money you're taking out to invest because that also eliminates your emotions like you have to do as much as you can to eliminate any emotions attached to that money yes the less emotional you get the more successful you're going to be so it's like literally the opposite of being an entrepreneur because as an entrepreneur you need to be super passionate about what you need you want to have emotions attached to them yeah. investing as much as you can just like like what you do is absolutely like awesome because don't even look at it and you were talking about like, not I don't know what the motives of TV is. I know, because I'm actually invited to go on and speak on TV all the time. And I know when they call me. They call me when there is hype. They call me when they want to hype up because they want views, they want clicks, Yes. right? Yes. And I tell my students like, hey, I'm going to go on TV in a five minutes. Like, I I'm going to educate, but know that the reason why I'm there is to hype up what I've already the market sentiment is hyped, hyped up about. So mitigating risk, again, yeah. it also includes not listening to the news. And then with my entry points, so the third point of my mitigation, risk mitigation is my entry points. So again, because my risk willingness to take a risk as a person, I'm just a low risk person. I don't like to take a lot of risk. So my willingness to take a risk is low, whereas my ability to take a risk because I have a high income business cash flow, my ability to take a risk is actually high. So this brings me up to like medium risk tolerance. So, and because of that, I also don't like to be all in or all out. So I talked about buy limit orders. I don't do like one buy limit order. It's like, okay, if it's either that or I'm either going to go all in on this or not. I like to set like at least three points because there's also the risk of missing out, right? So I want to mitigate both. And actually, okay, I'm going to tell you this because this is like, oh, the best thing. So, <laughs> super excited. So, the two questions you need to ask before you pull that trigger is this. Like, this is going to tell you what your risk tolerance is. Ready? All right. Question number one is that if I buy this asset right now at this price today and it drops 50% tomorrow, will I panic or will I buy more? Mm -hmm. That's question number one. Question number two is that if I don't buy this asset right now at this price and it goes up 50% tomorrow, will I catch FOMO and try like buying my way back in at that high price? So when you ask yourself this question, this gets your brain to understand exactly what you need to do. Yeah, so. I love that. Um, framework, uh, creating frameworks around decisions is just, I, I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to, like, I, I think it's so important and impactful. It's one of the largest driving factors for our success, how we built up over, you know, well over $150 million portfolio. It's due simply to the fact that I have frameworks for decision-making. So it's like, I'm not going to let my emotions come in and dictate it. And I've made buys that I was nervous about, but all logic was like, this is sound. Like, I know we're in a real estate recession, but this is sound, right? I know that this is happening, but 
we've made this framework before. We made the decisions and we understand why we, we are. Has anything within that framework changed? No, then we want that buying, right? We want to take advantage of it and we want to do it. And that puts things into perspective. It allows me to uh, think through why I'm making decisions and analyze risk in a real way. And I love that that you do that. I, I put frameworks on all my investing decision makings that say what is acceptable, what is not, where is our buy button, where is it not? And just like you said, I, we do the same things when we're dealing, when I'm buying companies, if it goes down, I just keep buying. Because I know that at $100, I'm a buyer. At $50, I'm buying twice as much. Mm. So it tells me, but then I know that at 150, I'm not a buyer. Mm. So I stop, right? And having those pre-made decisions uh, gets rid of a lot of, I think, stress, anxiety, turmoil, and it creates way better results for you in the long run. 100% absolutely. And that's the thing, like you, you don't want to have anxiety over it. Like this is the money that is supposed to be working for you as opposed to like you being obsessing over it and like being anxious and stressing like that. It's like the opposite of how it should be happening. And and yeah, that, that's how it grows. Time in the market and then time I, in the market and then <laughs> I mean, your, your point on diversification at risk overall, I don't believe in diversification like I think is traditionally believed in. Because, you know, when I went through uh, the Great Recession and everybody was losing money and I learned something very valuable, that a stock is a stock. Mm -hmm. So whether you own one or another and the stock market is crashing, it's all going down. So all of a sudden, it's if I'm diversifying, I'm diversifying an asset class, meaning diversification is a hedge if I'm buying a stock and a piece of real estate and a business like, you know, it's like it has to be totally different. Asset oh, exactly. Classes. That's what people get wrong. That's what. Oh, my gosh. You said it. You pinpointed it. Business. Really like different kinds investing in yourself, for example. Yes. That is also an investment. 100%. That's the biggest investment in yourself. So absolutely. Ah, oh, you said it. Exactly. Because the stock market or the cryptocurrency market, they're just like, oh, go down altogether. Yeah, it all moves together. So this idea that because I was diversified, I only lost 40% and 45 then as opposed to 45%, like that's a good thing. I'm mm-hmm. like, that doesn't make sense to me because mm-hmm. when it goes back up, those should evaporate anyways. Yeah. So it's, you know, I feel like when going through the recession, seeing everybody and like, I had a diversified portfolio with a bond ratio of 20% and then diversified index funds and uh, you still did bad. And I, you know, I looked at it and I'm like, when we started investing and when I was investing, I wanted to own four, you know, really five to 10 companies that I understood. Mm-hmm. I understood well, and I loved, and I didn't think we're going anywhere. I understood their business model. I understood their customer. I believed in them. Like you said, I don't go with companies, companies that I don't agree with mm-hmm. uh, fundamentally or morally because that is counterintuitive. It's not that it's right or wrong, but if I'm saying I'm buying companies that I believe in and that I think are morally wrong for whatever reason, how can you make that connection? I, I don't I don't believe in it. It's more about me. It's not about, like you said, they could be completely successful. And I talk, and I, I really believe this, just because it's successful doesn't mean that it was right. Like people are like, oh, you missed an opportunity. And I'm like, I miss opportunities all the time. I'm totally okay with that. It's not an opportunity if it's not right for me. 
So it needs to be within my grasp of understanding, desire, and control. It doesn't just need to make money because if the only criteria is that it just makes money, you're broadening your horizon to just astronomical things. You're increasing risk because you're increasing the amount of what you don't know and don't understand. So it, I love how everything you've talked about starts out with you. Hmm. What do you understand? What do you know? What is your risk profile? What are your financials? The assets only come after that. And so many people screw that up. They're, it's all about the asset. They think if, if I miss that opportunity, it's over, I'll never have. So I'm going to bet everything on red. And it's emotional driven. And that is just a sure way to fail. And that's gambling. That's not investing. And that's clearly not what you do. And I think that is just absolutely sound advice. Um, I know that you have a, a short period of time here. I think we have about 10 minutes. So I want to be very considerate of your time. Um, but uh, first of all, tell people where can they go to find out more about you, understand about um, you know, what you teach, um, where can they learn more about you because your philosophies are amazing. I love them. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, we have this like our most popular free masterclass that I have. My goal is to have 1 million people take control of their finances. And this masterclass, we already have had 200,000 people go through it and change their lives. I basically go over what we just discussed in a little bit more detail and talk about like how that Fibonacci works, how that capital analysis works. And they can go and register for it, investdiva.com forward slash masterclass. It's investdiva.com forward slash masterclass. It's a free masterclass. You get your risk tolerance, um, risk management toolkit after you attend so that you are set to go to the next step and understand whether even investing, this kind of investing is for you because it may even not be. So we don't, yeah. I don't know why. So yeah. th this is like, this is where you get started. You understand like where you are right now to decide, oh, you know what? I don't want to do stocks. I want to do maybe real estate. I want to do something else. So uh, that's where majority of our students have gotten started and it's my baby. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. I love it. Thank you so much. Everybody go check it out. Um, is there a place where they should go to follow you? Are you on like YouTube, anything else like that, that they can also go to keep up with everything you're doing? Yes. And I do want to actually spell this one out because I have literally thousands above, upon thousands of impersonators. And the moment you follow it's out of control. Show, yeah, it's out of, I don't know why social media are not doing anything about it. So on Instagram, on Instagram, I am only and only at invest diva, no dots, no underscores, no nothing. It's at I-N-V-E-S-T-D-I-V-A, at Investiva. That's Investiva. On TikTok, it's my name. Again, no dots, no nothing. It's Kiana Danielle. And on YouTube is youtube.com forward slash Investiva. On Twitter is, again, my name, Kiana Danielle. We've made it a little bit complicated on Facebook. It's also my Kiana Danielle. Yep. But um, so Instagram. We'll, we'll put those in there. We'll put those in the show notes. Yeah. But so it's either my name or the company name. No dots, no numbers, no nothing attached. And uh, a majority of them, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I'm actually verified. So look for that blue check mark next to my picture. But that, that helps a lot to offset the Twitter doesn't, hasn't granted me that yet. So uh, that's a bit out of control. But even though, even though we have that, these impersonators have been so convincing that people still fall for them. Yeah. Like they would put a verific, verified like picture up with a verified. It's just, oh, it's just unbelievable what the things that they do. So 
Uh, <laughs> this one, I just don't want you guys to go so follow, follow the real ones. And we will have those in our show notes. And it, seriously, thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, wonderful advice that everybody should follow. And we will send them there. Thank you so much, Adrian. You're having a great energy and great chatting with you. Hey, you too. Thanks.